Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify Him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles. Yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured <laughs> yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah Everybody, this is Guys with Bibles. I'm Scott. I'm Sean. And I'm Lee. Hey, this is Chad Bird joining us today, and he's going to be giving us an introduction to his new upcoming book, um, Hebrew in Correlation with the New Testament. Um, and I think it's going to be great, so let's hear from it. All right, Chad. What's up, man? Good. It's great to be back on the podcast with you guys. You know, we were before we started, we were trying to remember. It's it's been a while, at least a year, I think, since I was on here last. Yeah, but yeah. I've been uh, I've been hammering away at this thing for uh, oh goodness, quite a while. I guess I started on it in January, and uh, the the end is is near. It's uh, so it's going to be a. It's going to be a it daily. It feels like it. No. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> this is true in more, more ways than one. Yeah, it's going to be. A, it's going to be a daily devotional uh, for the whole year. the uh, The title is "Unveiling Mercy," and the subtitle is "365 Daily Devotions Based on Insights from Old Testament Hebrew." And each so each page will have a a biblical verse or a title, and then a Hebrew word uh, or phrase sometimes, and then the uh, they'll have a biblical text where that word occurs, and then there'll be a brief meditation devotion, uh, and then there'll be a prayer at the end. So it's uh, it's been a it's been really a, a nice challenge for me. I, I I didn't know exactly how I would approach it. I started out with the idea that I would just pick 365 words and write on them, but I ended up just going canonically through the uh, through the scriptures. So I started out just with Genesis one. And by the time I'm finished, I will have covered with at least one word all of the Old Testament books. Of course, some books, you know, some books I'm going to have a lot more. Like Isaiah is just full of rich vocabulary. So I think I have 15 from Isaiah. There's a lot from the Psalms, a lot from Genesis, well, a lot from the from the Torah period. Um, and then, sure. you know, when you get toward like, uh, let's see, Song of Songs, I think has two or three. Lamentations has one. And I think when I get toward the end, with the exception of Hosea and all the other minor prophets, I'm going to pick two from. But anyway, it's kind of it's kind of cool because every single biblical book will then be represented in some way uh, by by the time we, that you finish the the devotional. It's been it's been a great challenge. I mean, I've uh, I've drawn upon my goodness, I guess 20 years of either studying or teaching or or reading about Hebrew and its connection to to the New Testament, how that kind of forms a background in the New Testament. I taught Hebrew for about four or five years at the seminary. 
I studied under rabbis at, at Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati, and we not only studied Cincinnati. Biblical, yeah, Woo! we only studied not only studied <laughs> biblical Hebrew, but we studied uh, what's called uh, sometimes Mishnaic or Rabbinic Hebrew. It's basically the Hebrew that was kind of the the, the Hebrew of the streets and the synagogues shortly mm-hmm. after the New Testament period, or probably during the New Testament period as well. And then a little bit of modern Hebrew, although I, I modern Hebrew is kind of a, an animal all all in its own, but in, in, needless to say, through all of that, it just uh, has, has been a, a great journey, and uh, I'm glad to have this opportunity now to, to pull from a lot of the stuff that, that I've taught and that's been taught to me, and, and to put it not into an academic form, but into a form that's going to be actually beneficial to the, the, you know, the person in the pew uh, or the pastor, mm-hmm. anyone who's interested in diving a, a, little, bit, a little bit deeper into, into the scriptures on a daily basis. So how how did you make the decisions to narrow it down to only you know three hundred and sixty five Hebrew words? Was there a certain uh, goal you had in mind for the words that you chose for each day's devotional? I started out uh, kind of going back to just my initial thoughts. I was going to choose the words that were the most commonly commonly used words. I have a I have a book. It, a lot of classes will use it when you're learning Hebrew, where it breaks it down like. Here's a list of the words that occur a thousand times or more in the Old Testament. And here's a list of the words that occur eight to nine hundred times, etc. So I use that to make a rudimentary list. But in the end, what I and, and many of the so many of those words did end up in the book, but what I did along the way is I just kind of picked different different words that did different things in the various contexts. So for instance, uh, I've got some that you, you might call uh where you learn about kissing the bride through the veil. So that, that, was, that was a phrase that one of my rabbinic teachers used to use. He said, you know, when you're reading in translation, you're kissing the bride through the veil. You're not getting skin to skin. You're not making that, that kind of contact that you want to make. But when you read it in the original, well, then you're kissing her on the lips. So with those, ki- yeah. Yeah, with those kind of examples, really what I'm trying to do is to, sh- is to kind of peel back the translation to show you that, hey, here's, here's what the Hebrew says. And it's not as if the translation is wrong in most cases. It's just that it's inadequate, that there's more to it. Now, I do give a couple examples yeah. where I think it's just plain out, maybe not wrong, but it's such a weak translation that it misses most of the point of the Hebrew. Let me just give you an example right quick since we're on that, that particular topic. This is, a, a, this is a favorite of mine, and you guys may be familiar with this. So everybody knows Psalm 23. Uh, I mean, it's one. It's like it's if 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 anybody can quote all or at least most of a psalm. Well, it you know it's it's probably going to be Psalm 23. Short, beautiful, fitting for all kinds of different different occasions. We get to the end of that psalm, and it says, "Gam ki elik begezaramavit lo irarat kiata imadi." Or that's not that's not the end. That's for the beginning. So, you know, I. I'm, I'm not going to be afraid if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death because you're with me, right? And then you get, mm-hmm. you get that's right in the middle. So you get to the end, and uh, you hear about goodness and mercy. Ach tov yirdefuni. So surely goodness and mercy shall do what? Well, almost every translation says that goodness and mercy shall follow me. The Hebrew verb that's used there is radaf. And Radaf 
does not mean follow. <laughs> you can translate it that a lot of different ways, but it does not mean follow unless you want to add some other words like follow zealously or follow on the heels of or hmm. follow with the intention of striking someone down. So most of the time that Radoff is used, it's used in some sort of military context where somebody is chasing somebody else. For instance, you go back to Genesis 14, after Kedor Laomer and the other kings go through and they, you know, they're sacking various cities that refuse to pay them tribute anymore and they capture Lot and his family, of course, and they you know, take them off on the, on the warpath. And Abraham and his 318 men, they hear about what's happened, and so they decide they're going to pursue after them. The verb for pursue is radaf, the same one that's in Psalm 23. In Exodus 14, when Pharaoh is chasing Israel into the heart of the sea, when he's pursuing them, he's radafing them. When Barak chases down Sisera in Judges chapter 4, he's used, once more, he's engaging in radaf. So when you get to Psalm 23, and it says, Goodness and mercy shall radaf you. This is not picturing goodness and mercy as if it's a good little kind of puppy dog that's just, you know, kind of trailing <laughs> along behind yeah. you. This is the hound of heaven. This yeah. is the hound of heaven who wow. is chasing you down. The goodness, the tove of God, and the chesed, the mercy, the loving kindness, the, the covenant love of God. Those two things are chasing you down. They're pursuing you. And they are heaven-bent on catching you and making sure that God has his way with you, that his goodness and mercy reach you. Now, that's one of the examples where I think the translation, I won't say it's like mistaken, but it just doesn't come remotely close enough to really capture what, what the Hebrew is saying. So I have a few. I have a number of examples of those, and we can That's we can return to those and 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 uh, flesh those out a little bit more. But other other ways that I chose words are ones that especially bridge a gap between the Old Testament and and the New Testament. You know, I'm a I'm a big advocate in I'd say 90% of what I write. What I'm trying to do is to get people to read the New Testament through Hebrew eyes, uh, not not to come in at the biblical movie on the last five minutes of the movie and expect that you're going to be under, able to understand what's going on. <laughs> yeah. That it, never works. It never works. You'd be like, I don't even know who these people are. What are they doing? And, you know, what? how does all this fit together? How did we get here? Yeah. Well, that, that's what happens when you try and read the New Testament apart from the Old Testament. You're just going to miss, I'd say, almost everything. None of it makes sense, you know, or... Yeah, or it's you know, or just to use another example, you know, if you if you like to read novels and you and you read the last chapter of the novel, well, you don't even know the plot, you don't know the development of the characters, you don't know what everything has been leading to up to that point. So you're just kind of ruining the whole story. Well, if it it applies even more even more so in the case of the scriptures, because even even we'll take this the basic confession: Jesus Christ is Lord. All right. Someone might say, well, you don't need the Old Testament to understand that. Absolutely you do. There's None of that makes any sense apart from the Old Testament. First of all, Jesus is the Greek form of, of Joshua, Yehoshua. So that right there connects the two narratives. It means, you know, the Lord is salvation. So Jesus is the new Joshua. Well, Christ is nothing more, of course, than Christos in Greek, which is Mashiach, Messiah in Hebrew, which is a, na a title, not a name. So Joshua, Messiah. Jesus Christ uh, is Lord. Well, 
in Lord, when you look at the at the way that the, the Greek translates the Old Testament name Yahweh, it translated as, as Kurios. So in Hebrew, we would say Joshua Mashiach is Yahweh. That is to say, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one of God is Yahweh. So all of that is just the background of this real simple fundamental to Christian confession. Of course, we could go on and on with examples from the, from the Gospels about how, how the New Testament is, is not understandable, it does not make any sense apart from the Old Testament. So I have a few of those. For instance, I talk about the, the background of fishers of men. I talk about the background of some of the Beatitudes, like blessed are the meek. Well, what are the meek? Well, Jesus is, is quoting from one of the Psalms there when he talks about the meek. So you got to go back to the Hebrew, to that Psalm, to understand what he's talking about. Or on the cross, of course, he quotes Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, you got to look at that whole Psalm in context, and you got to look at that verb for forsaken to understand what, what, he's, what he's getting at. We can return to some of those examples if you want to. Let me just kind of finish out answering your question with the other category. So I've got some that are just, they're puns, they're word plays, they're an, they're an example of how the prophets are engaging in, in some very rich and textured poetry. There's a couple examples from Isaiah I think that we should look at because they're just beautiful. And you yeah. you got to hear them. You can't. They can really, yeah, they can't really be just you know thought about. You got to you got to hear them. So I'll I'll give some of those. And then two more categories. Some are one one category is just really where I try and delve into some of the the Christology that we get from from the Hebrew. I got some Isaiah fifty three examples that we can return to. And then okay, I've got a few in there that honestly are are kind of just for fun. Uh, there's a, <laughs> I mean they're just kind of cool. You know Hebrew is just a cool language and. So one of the cool things, uh, maybe you guys have come across this, but Jeremiah, I don't think anybody else does it. At least I've not come across any other examples. But Jeremiah uses an example of uh, a cryptic name. And it's through a technique called Atbosh. You guys heard about this? I have not heard that before. No. Okay, well, uh, uh, anyway, here's the way Atbosh works. So Atbosh, the name itself, is formed from, so the ah sound is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The ot sound is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, okay? Mm -hmm. And then the second part is bosh. Well, the B sound is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the SH sound is the next to last letter of the alphabet. Mm -hmm. So you get in the pattern here? So ot, bosh, yeah. last letter, I mean, first letter, last letter, Second letter next next to last letter. So what what you can do is the way that Otbosh works is you take a name, let's say, and you you can well if you did this in English you would like make one line with A B C D all the way down to the middle letter of the alphabet, and then right across from that in the second second column you'd put Z across from A, Y across from B, and you get you, you hmm. a little cipher built up here. And then you take any word and you just transfer the letters from one side to the other side. Huh. Whoa! Yeah. So uh, let me find huh. my uh, let me find my notes here, and I'll give you a, I'll give you an example of how this how this works. Of course, I can't find uh, I can't find the example. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here's okay because I I had some English examples here so. If you use Atbosh with English and you change around the letters for low, L-O-W, then you get old. 
If you do zoo, you get all. Okay? So, Weird. I mean, you, you can okay. do this in English easily. Well, let me get to the biblical example. So, if you turn to Jeremiah chapter 25, and you, you look at verse, I believe it's verse 26. All right? So, this is where this whole section begins in verse 17. So, Jeremiah 25, verse 17. It begins by saying that uh, Jeremiah is supposed to take the cup of the Lord you know, and just go around to all these various nations and make them drink this cup of judgment, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, you get down to the very end, to verse 26, and it says, and he's supposed to take it to all the kingdoms of the earth, which are upon the face of the ground, and the king of Shishak shall drink after them. Is that what your translations have? Yeah, yeah. I see it in a footnote. Yeah. Okay. So well, the reason I ask you is because not every translation actually has Shishak. Some of them, uh, in, in quite, I think, a boring fashion, they put Babylon in there. It's like they, they huh. completely disregard what's going on here. So the odd the bosh that's used here is he means Babylon. Because if you look up Shishak, Shishak is, is there is no place called Shishak. It, it, it's never existed. All right? <laughs> it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. But Shishak is... If you kind of do a reverse Atbosh on it, it's Babylon. So Babylon, wow. when it's Atboshed, is Shishak. Okay, that's I never. That's crazy. That is I didn't so know that. cool. Yeah, it's is, it's is pretty cool. So that one, that one is just fun, and and it and, and it's just fun because nobody knows. You can read every, any commentary you want to, but none of them really know why he does this. Because I mean, <laughs> if like in the rest of his book. He was like really sly and like he didn't want to mention Babylon. It'd be like, okay, mm -hmm. I get it. You know, he's like being, you know, just code word. Like, you know, the New Testament writers will refer to, to Rome as Babylon sometimes, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. So, well, this is like kind of a code for them. It's like you're going to get the inference, but I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say the yes, real thing out loud. Exactly. Kind of thing. Exactly. Well, this is kind of the same thing, except what doesn't make any sense is everywhere else, Jeremiah, you know, quite freely mentions Babylon. But for some reason here, maybe he was bored and he thought, you know what? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really creative and I'm gonna use Oddbosh on on this and instead of Babylon, it'll be Shishak. That way eventually somebody who's writing a book will be able to write a devotion about this. I'm so Jeremiah was, <laughs> Jeremiah was helping me out there. <laughs> Jeremiah did it with Chad Bird in mind. Yeah, really nice. That's exactly what it nice was. Of him. So anyway, those are that's a long answer that's to fun. your uh, to your question. But those are <clears throat> the main reasons I chose the words that I did, just so that uh, you know we could have different examples, and there and there are some that are just I'm just really trying to give you a a little bit better insight into what the way Hebrew works and you know like what's behind these words. For instance, this is kind of a pet peeve of mine, but uh, I think if you were to take almost any English translation and look for the word law throughout the Old Testament and then check the Hebrew <laughs> and check the Hebrew behind that almost without exception or maybe without any exception the, the the Hebrew behind law would be Torah but here's the problem Torah as you guys probably know does not mean law Torah right. is a noun formed formed from the verb yara which means to teach so Torah does not mean law. Torah means teaching. <laughs> so it just would clear up so much. It's one of those I wish we never would have translated the word. I wish we'd have just transliterated it like we do other words. You know, we don't translate 
always translate hallelujah. Uh, we just stick it in there. Yeah. And there's other Hebrew right. words we do the same thing with, like amen. That's another one. But for some reason, mm-hmm. we, we've translated that probably due to the Septuagint influence, the, the Greek translation. Uh, translate that as, as law. But it gives it, you know, it, it just kind of, it undermines our ability to see the Old Testament as a book that is not just about law, but it's about grace as well. It's about promise as well. And there are many, many occurrences in the Old Testament where Torah does not mean law. It's just referring to, to the Word of God, which of course contains law and gospel. It contains commandments and it contains promises as well. So I, you know, I explain words like that too, just to kind of give give people a little bit broader understanding of what's going on when they can only see the the words in translation. It was a, it's been a good challenge. Uh, you know, any anytime you write a book, when you get toward the end, you know, you're ready to be done, <laughs> and, right, and I'm yeah. at that point. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's been great. I mean, I I've learned a lot, and uh, just it's been a lot of fun to try and well, it, a fun challenge because you know when you're when you're writing, after you've written a while, you're like, you need more space to, to say what you want to say, right? Like when you're first starting out writing, you know, you're in junior high, you're in high school, you're in college, you're like, you know, please don't make me write more than half a page or a page or whatever it might be. <laughs> and then, then, you know, once you've been writing a while and you know your subject, you're like, you know, give me as much space as, as you can. Well, these devotions, the whole thing is 250 words. That's including the Bible verse and the prayer. Oh, Wow. Yeah, so to to squeeze, you gotta, so just to, to help people imagine that if you're if you're writing, if you're typing on a computer, single spaced, that's about half a page, is what it what it amounts to. Oh mercy! Yeah, so I have tried to to pack as much into these as I can, so that you know I'm taking a full advantage of the time that that uh, people have to read through this, and hopefully they'll make the make the connections and look up the biblical verses and. It'll uh, open their eyes to have a little bit, little bit deeper understanding of uh, these passages and and the words words in them. Yeah, I was going to ask you, kind of, what is your what is your hope for people who uh, grab a copy of this book? What's your hope for them? What do you want them to accomplish in in reading it? Well, multiple things. Uh, one one of the one of the chief things I want them to to pick up from this. And again, this is what I emphasize over and over in, in my writing, in my, in my presentations. I want them to, to rediscover the beauty of the Old Testament. That's, if, there's, if you want to sum up basically what I'm all about in all my teaching, all my writing and said, I want people to, to rediscover the Old Testament, to fall in love with the Old Testament, and to, to realize that, yeah, it can be a little bit strange at times, a little bit daunting at times, but it is the Bible that Jesus read. It was the Bible of the early church. You know, we didn't have the New Testament for the first few decades. Uh, it was kind of was coming together. So when the when the earliest let's put it this way, when the earliest believers post resurrection met together, you know, they didn't pull out the New Testament. It didn't exist. They they pulled out the Torah and the writings and the prophets, and this formed the basis of everything that they were believing and teaching because Jesus said had taught them how to do this. He gave them that Emmaus Road perspective whereby the scriptures opened up for them so they were able to read and to understand and to preach the gospel on the basis of the of the Old Testament. I've often challenged preachers and teachers today, you know, just take, say this year, when you preach, 
preach and you, and you teach, whatever the doctrine is, I don't care if you're teaching about baptism or the Trinity or predestination or heaven or anything, whatever, just preach from the Old Testament. Just teach from the Old Testament and see if you can do it because that's the way it was for the earliest followers of Christ. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's very difficult for, for most people because we're not programmed to think that way. We were programmed kind of most of us with New Testament, with New Testament ideas. And so a lot of times when the, when the Old Testament is preaching the gospel to us, for instance, we don't hear it. You know, it's like, it's <laughs> right. like you're, uh, if you're, you're with a group of people and, you know, they kind of have the same interest and they've watched the same movies, listen to the same music and hung out a lot together. And so they have all these inside jokes, right? And you can hear the words. You can understand what the words are saying and you don't get the punchline. That's kind of the way it is a lot of times in the Old Testament. We can, it's not like we need to look up the words. We know the words, but we don't get the joke because we're, we're not part of that particular language community. We're not thinking the way they think. We're not connecting the dots the way that they connect them. And so we, we just miss out. It goes over our head. and We have to have somebody kind of stop and explain it to us. And we're like, oh, okay, now I get it. Well, the more that we immerse ourselves into these stories, the more we are going to kind of get the joke. We're going to get the story. We're going to make the connections because this is going to form our own thought patterns, just like it did the thought patterns of the earliest followers of Christ. I'm so Mm. stoked for this book. (laughs) I don't know if I answered all your question, but that's the start anyway. There's there's lots of things I want people to to go. I mean, I want them to love the Old Testament. I want them to... uh, to increase their biblical knowledge, I want them to to see that uh, there is there is no chasm between the Old and New Testament and New Testament. You know, we should turn the last page of right. the Old Testament, open the first page in the New Testament, and realize that this is all one stream. You know, there's no. I've used the image before about we need to you know put dynamite in the dam that we've erected between the Old Testament and New Testament and <laughs> blow that thing out of the water, so that. There's a, a continuous stream that flows from the spring of Genesis all the way to the ocean of, of Revelation. That's the way God intended it intended it to be. And I think the more that you really, the more that you read devotions like this or just study the Old Testament, when you get to the New Testament, you're like, oh, okay, I see, you know, I see why, even though it appeared weird to me before that Matthew opened his gospel with a genealogy. I mean, I was just a, getting ready to say that. What a... <laughs> You know, what a bonehead move we used to think. You know, nobody starts out something they want people to read, continue reading with a genealogy. Yeah, yeah, you're supposed to start out a book like that with a sword fighter. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it'd be like somebody... Be like somebody putting an, an index at the beginning of their book, you know? <laughs> what, what is this doing here, you know? But when you're reading it through Hebrews, you're like... Oh man, yeah. You know, right away he uses the word for Genesis. You know, so you're like, okay, I see what mm-hmm. Matthew's doing. Oh, so he's he's putting together this genealogy, and so by the time you you finish the genealogy, you're like, oh, okay, I know exactly what's going on here. I've got I've got the whole thing down. I mean, he's he's telling us that everything that preceded this, all of these people who were bearing the promise of the seed, one generation to another, and especially with you know David being central to that genealogy. You know, oh, this is the son of David. This is what this is going to be all about. This good news, this gospel is going to be about this son of David, the promised one who is who has come. So the opening chapter of Matthew is actually a genius move, at least if you're reading it through Hebrew eyes, because it, it kind of tells you the whole story. It's like the abstract, right? It tells you the whole thing. Well, th- right. This is what it's going to be about, people. You're like, oh, okay. 
All right, now I get it. Well, and Matthew is an incredibly Hebrew-soaked gospel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even even in comparison with the other gospels. Yeah, even in comparison with with you know Mark, Luke, and John, they all have gospel Old Testament elements Old Testament elements to them. But Matthew is definitely the most explicit. I mean, he's got this mosaic typology that uh, just is weaving is woven throughout his book. You know, Moses becomes the kind of Moses life and a lot of his teaching that becomes a pattern for for the gospel. I mean all the way to the very to the very end where you have the great commission. Well you can't really understand the great commission without going back to how Moses commissions Joshua and there's other commissionings too. So it 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 spans the whole the whole of Matthew. But you know you see examples it doesn't matter if it's in uh uh Mark or Luke or John. I mean just Kind of off the top of my head here, uh, I don't have these these verses in front of me. But Mark is unique. If you look at the, if you look at the temptation account in Matthew and in Luke and in Mark, well, in it's of course every time every time it occurs, it's after his baptism, right? And uh, yeah. but Mark alone describes how the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. I think the Greek word there is ekbalo. Uh, again, I'm just kind of working off the top of my head here, so I'm not completely sure. But I know that if you if you go back and you read Genesis 3 in the Septuagint, that is a Greek translation, the verb that is used there to describe how God drove Adam and Eve out is the same word that occurs there in Mark, how the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Ah. That's Mark 1.12, by the way. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, the the Hebrew verb there is garash, which is often used for for driving out, for expelling, for casting into exile, all of that. Well, why in the world would Mark do that? Well, because of course he he wants you to make that kind of connection. He wants you to 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 read that and be like, oh, well, this is yeah, this is the second Adam. You know, this is this is Adam number two who's come to be driven out. He's going out to the wilderness just like Adam was expelled from paradise. Except in this case, what, what, what Christ is doing, what uh, the second century church father Irenaeus called the recapitulation. So he's, he's doing over, he's, he's doing a, a redo in himself of everything that Adam experienced and Israel experienced so that he might per- bring that to perfection. So Christ, of course, undergoes kind of a, a, a dual typology here. He, he undergoes what Adam underwent, but he also follows the same path that, that Israel Israel traveled because, of course, he goes all the way into Egypt when he's a child and he comes out of there and he's constantly engaging in this sort of recapitulation where he reenacts the history of the Old Testament people and of humanity in Adam in order that he might then be the one who perfects that, redoes that in in himself. So that's the way Mark does it. Of course, there's plenty in Luke, especially those opening couple chapters, which are very Old Testament uh, sounding and then uh, John has his own Old Testament kind of stuff. You know, of course, he st- starts his gospel out, right, in RK in the beginning. Where it's like, okay, wink, wink, you know. <laughs> if, if you don't get that one. Look back. Yeah, if you don't get that one, man, you, you, need, to, you need to go back. Uh, so his opening two words, same opening two words of Genesis 1-1 in the Greek. Yeah, I think, I think that, one's, that was pretty obvious there. But John, so John yeah, is you can, usually more subtle. I mean, that's really in your face there. He's usually more subtle about his use of the Old Testament. Uh, but anyway, all that to say that the gospel writers, in their own in their own ways, I mean, they're all drawing from the Old Testament themes and language, 
and imagery and institutions to point to how Christ has fulfilled all of them. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I, I, I'm just going to assume that that it just sounds like God had a purpose for uh, for putting all these uh, symbols and callbacks in the New Testament. To it's almost like God had a plan for what He was inspiring here. In yeah, isn't that funny? It almost know, it just like seems like it. Providence, Providence at work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can definitely see how the I mean the the Spirit is using all of this uh, to to open our eyes up to the Old Testament and to. And to show the riches that are there and just to invite us to dig a little bit deeper. You know, there's just, there's so much, there's so much more there is to learn. And I think it, this is it's sort of a, a side street we can go down for a minute. But I think sometimes, you know, when we, when we just read the New Testament, and especially if we've been raised in church, you know, we've heard all these sermons, we've been to Sunday school, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we kind of think we have certain things figured out. Well, sometimes when you read the Old Testament, it, you, you go back and read certain New Testament stories and you're like, oh, maybe... Maybe I don't have these these things figured out. Let me give you a couple examples. One is uh, I'm going to write about this pretty soon. I think just because I, it's it's one of those topics I think that people need to know about. So Fishers of Men, right? Um, right. It, yeah. it, <laughs> Fishers of Men is a kind of a romanticized notion. Oh, Jesus is you know he's sending out these fishers of men, and it, it's kind of a peaceful image, right? You know they're going to be catching people with the it gospel. So idyllic. Yeah, it's very, very idyllic. Well, not if you're the Old Testament. <laughs> so I, I recently did a, oh, it was, I was researching one of these, one of these articles I was writing, one of these devotions I was writing. So uh, I looked at all of the Old Testament occurrences where fishing is used as a, a metaphor for catching people. And so, first of all, you got to know the Hebrew word for for fish because it's just one of those. There's there's two really fun Hebrew words uh, that I used to love to teach my students. One is the word for for uh, for tent, and I'd always say this: Okay, if you've ever put a tent up in the wind, you will never have any trouble remembering the Hebrew word for tent because Hebrew word for tent is oh hell. <laughs> So, yeah, it was, all, it was like, oh, yeah, so nobody, <laughs> nobody forgets the tent means oh hell. And then the other Hebrew word, which is always fun to teach, is that in Hebrew, the word for fish is dog. <laughs> it sounds just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So the Hebrew word for fish is dog. Anyway, that's just kind of, a, just kind of fun. So when you, so, but when you fish, the verb is dig. So you dig for dog. You fish for fish. You Ooh. dig for dog. Anyway, Weird. back to the point I was going to make. Every single time that fishing is used as a metaphor, where people are actually fishing for men with nets or, or with hooks, it's, it's violent. It's, uh, yeah. Actually, yeah you, you, when, you, when you are caught by someone who's fishing for you, then life as you know it is over. Life as you know it is over when you've been caught. When you look from an Old Testament perspective of what it means to fish. So, for instance, just kind of give you some examples here. In Jeremiah 16, God says, I am sending for many fishermen, and they shall catch them. Now, if you read the rest of the verses here, this is not a good catch. He's like hunting them down to punish them. So, this, this is not... A uh, an idyllic image. 
Or if you turn to Ezekiel, God spreads his net to catch this runaway prince and is going to send him into exile. If you look in Amos, hmm. uh, he wields fish hooks to drag people away. And then Habakkuk, the Babylonians, net Israel like fish. Every yeah. single occurrence, in other words, the people who are caught, now their life is no longer the same. Now, make the move to the New Testament. When Jesus sends his, these guys out to be fishers of men, what are they going to do? Well, he's going to make sure that the, that the sinners that they hook or net by God's word are going to know that once they're caught, that life as they knew it is now over. They're going to die. And, they're, and, and ironically, these fish they catch, these sinners they catch, are going to die. They're going to die in the water because they're going to be baptized. They're going to be put in the baptismal yeah. ritter. Hmm. And they're going to be raised to, to newness of life. But that's the great point. It's a violent image from the Old Testament. But that very often happens where you get a violent image from the Old Testament. And then you look at it and you're like, yeah, this because, you know, conversion is death. You know, you're not just like changing your mind. You're like like shifting from one club to another club. You're gonna die. You're gonna be crucified with Christ. Yeah. So anyway, that's one example of how you know you yeah you think you kind of have something figured out like what it means to be a fisher of men, and then you start looking at this Old Testament background. You're like, oh, don't I don't really think I do. I think this is very different. Same with uh, uh same with gnashing of teeth. I grew up thinking that gnashing of teeth meant that someone was in pain. You know, because in mm -hmm. the Gospels, it's always He's going to cast you in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That yeah, kind of makes sense, right. you know. Well, if you look at uh, every single example from the Old Testament where there's gnashing of teeth, that gnashing takes place when someone is, like, biting at you. So to gnash the teeth is like you're baring your teeth and you're just ready to bite into somebody. That's what it means to gnash your teeth in the Old Testament. Hmm. And there's one, there's one great New Testament illustration of that. If you, if you look at the stoning of Stephen, when the crowds become more and more infuriated with him, they begin to gnash their teeth at him. Okay, now think about what Jesus is saying. The unbelievers are cast into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why is there gnashing of teeth? Because these people are infuriated. They're angry. They may be weeping because they're sad, but at the same time, they are wanting to take a, a bite out of the one who's now their enemy. So it's a symbol, oh it's God. an image of anger, of fury that they are being that they're being punished. And in some of I don't have the examples in front of me here, but in some of the gospel accounts, when Jesus talks about this, he talks about how like those who are the outsiders are going to be welcomed into the kingdom, and those who thought they were insiders are going to be pushed out where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, why are they gnashing their teeth? Because they see that they've been cast out and they're angry at those who are now sitting at the table with Jesus. Mercy. So really cool stuff like that, which you wouldn't know unless you looked at this Old Testament background of, of gnashing, gnashing teeth. Hmm. It's like their anger on display. That is that is really helpful. I've never made that connection with Stephen. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was looking that up in Acts. So that verse you're talking about, Chad, is uh, for the listeners, that's Acts um, 7, verse 54. Yes, yeah. yes, right. Yeah. And, and be careful what translation you're looking at, too, because I usually quote ESV. I cannot remember what ESV said on that, but I ended up quoting uh, another translation. Ground. They ground their teeth yes ground their now teeth see yeah but the um, problem is it's the same it, it, 
It's the it's the same uh, it's the same word that's used elsewhere. Uh, there, yeah. all of these occurrences are gnashing the gnashing of teeth. Hmm. So uh, yeah, that was those are some. If you want a couple, if you're listening and you want to look at a couple examples, so look at Psalm thirty-five sixteen, Psalm thirty-seven twelve, and Psalm one twelve verse ten. Those are three occurrences of places yeah. where unbelievers or the wicked will gnash their teeth at at the righteous. So it's a it's not a symbol of pain. It's a it's a symbol That's of awesome. it's a symbol of anger. I, I haven't known this for years. It's just something that I've I've learned probably the last couple of years, and I don't even know why I came across it. Just was looking at that, and I'm like, oh wow, you start. Kind of putting this all together, and you're like, I don't think that means what I thought it meant. <laughs> it, means, it means something. It means something uh, very different. Yeah. See, this is why, like, sometimes people look at you sideways when you say there's always something new to learn from scripture, but it's really true. The oh, more you yeah. dig, the more yeah. there is to learn. It's Absolutely. so deep. Like, it's like a lifetime of study, and you still can't get it all. Like, yeah. Let me give you a couple of uh examples of i talked about some of the word plays in the poetry earlier uh yeah good poetry yeah you're you're probably you probably heard this one if you if you studied isaiah before because this like of all the old testament examples of like if you google word play in the old testament this one always pops up and rightly so because i think it's probably the most poetic of all of the various puns and word plays that you that you'll find scattered really throughout throughout the Old Testament. So this is Isaiah chapter five, verse seven. And Isaiah five, the opening verses, is the song of the vineyard, right? I will let me sing of my beloved the song of, of a vineyard. And what you know what this, this is about. This is God, you know, he's describing himself as this this vineyard owner. He found this plot of land, you know, and he 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 like he worked his fingers to the bone to make sure that this place was just perfect. I mean, he, he planted the vines, he built this, you know, the vat, the watchtower. He did everything necessary to make sure that there was no reason whatsoever that this place wasn't going to produce some vintage grapes, the best wine that you've ever, ever drunk. And of course, this is the picture of Israel. God has done everything for them. He set it up, he set them up not to fail, but to succeed. I mean, there's like nothing in their way. But what happens? When God goes to check his vineyard for this wonderful fruit, he, he doesn't find grapes. He finds, uh, well, the Hebrew there probably should be translated something like stink fruit. I think it's usually translated, I don't know, sour grapes or something like that. But it's Wild grapes. Wild grapes, yeah. It's, it's something like stink fruit in the Hebrew. Okay, that's not the wordplay. The wordplay is you get farther down to verse 7. And this is where Isaiah begins to explain the parable, just like Jesus explains his own parables. Isaiah says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. So he's just, you know, he's, he's uh, given us the interpretation. Then he says this. This, this, is the, this is the beautiful part. So I'll read it in English, but I'll insert the Hebrew so that you can, so that you can hear it. He looked, that is God, God looked for mishpat, but behold, Miss Pak. He looked for Whoa. he looked for Tsaraka, but behold, Tsaaka. Uh, now in Hebrew, oh there's no way you can replicate that in English. So he looked for Mishpat, but behold, Miss Pak. He looked for Tsaraka, but behold, Tsaaka. 
So he looked for oh justice, but behold, wrongdoing or bloodshed. So mishpat is justice. Mispach is bloodshed or wrongdoing. He looked for tzedakah. That's righteousness. Like tzedek, uh, it occurs in a lot of names in the Old Testament. Anyway, so he looked for tzedakah. He looked for righteousness. But all he found was tzedakah, which means like an outcry because someone is being victimized. Now, there, there's... Oh, my goodness. I checked every translation. I even did some thesaurus work thinking maybe I could come up with, you know, something in English that was close. But I... No. I mean, the, the closest I can come is he... Like, he looked for the correcting of wrongs, but all he found was wrongdoing. He looked for mm. what was right, but all he could find were the cries of those who had been wronged. Of course, that's, that's more interpretation than it is translation. You can't really bring it out. So that's... That's, I think, the most beautiful of the, the word plays that you'll find in Isaiah and really in the, in the old, whole Old Testament. Now, there's, if, you, if you turn the, the page to just a couple chapters later to Isaiah 7, verse 9, this is another great example in Isaiah. Isaiah is by far, you know, you've heard him called the, you know, the Shakespeare of the prophets, and, mm-hmm. and rightly so, because he has just some beautiful, beautiful use of language. So this is Isaiah 7, of course, most people associate with the prophecy of the virgin birth. A few verses before then, this is uh, God speaking to, to the king, to, to Ahaz, through Isaiah. And he's talking about how these enemies that Ahaz is all worried about, they're, they're nothing to be, be concerned about, because God is going to take them out. He's going to destroy them. Then you get to verse 9. And the very end of verse 9 in, in New American Standard says this, If you will not believe, you surely shall not last. Right? And I'm not sure what the other translations have. But in Hebrew, it's a fantastic play on words. It'll, it sounds like this. Im lo ta'aminu kilo te'aminu. If you will not, <laughs> oh, wow. if you will not ta'aminu then you will not te'amenu. Now, what's beautiful about that is not just because it has the same sound, but it's actually formed from the same root. It's the root that we get amen from. Aleph, mm. mem, nun. So mm-hmm. three letters, same root, but it's two different verbal forms. And in one verbal form, it means to believe, like to say amen to, right? To, to say, I believe this. But in the other right. verbal form, it means to like be firm or stand strong. So that's what Isaiah is saying. Uh, if you will not believe, I think one tra- translation says, if you, will, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Something like that. But if you, yeah, yeah, that's ESV. That's ESV. Yeah, okay. yeah. I was yeah. going to say, mine says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. Yeah, they're, they're trying to bring that out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's imlo, imlo to aminu, kilo te aminu. And you could just that is so cool. Yeah, it's just it's it's really pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, and I could imagine with that wordplay, then that's going to stick in people's minds, obviously. Oh yeah, because that's yeah. that's kind of how poetry works. That's how poetry works, exactly. Yeah, I mean, once you heard that, it's going to be like it's lodged there. You're going to remember it. It's one of yeah. those. Yeah, it's one of those just aphorisms, if you will, that mm-hmm. you that just sticks in your in your head, and that's of course what 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 he's trying to get across. Yeah, I would think that's what a prophet would want to do, get these words stuck in people's heads. Yeah. 
Yeah, of course it did. Good way to do it. Didn't work very well yeah. in the case of didn't, King Ahaz. Yeah, I was going to say, it <laughs> didn't, didn't stick very well, did yeah. it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Ahaz, like, wins. It's going to stick in our heads, though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, if there was if there was reward for, like, you know, jerk of the decade, Ahaz won that one. But uh, hands down. Gosh, that guy. No doubt. Yeah, so anyway, that's a... That's fantastic. That's a lot of examples. I mean, I, I have I have a lot more we could uh, we could keep going, but anyway, those those give you uh, at least a, kind of an idea as to some of the what some of the devotions are going to be about. That's awesome. I appreciate you really bringing out those examples. That's yeah, sure. That, there's a lot to chew on. So, Chad, when's the book releasing? It's not already out yet, is it? No, it's going to be out in uh, probably. Late October, November, ah. before well before Christmas anyway, because we want people to be able to to purchase it so they'll have it, you know, at the beginning of the year. Since Hopefully it is on Reformation devotional, and uh, you know, that way they can buy copies for you know their friends, family, neighbors, community, favorite church. podcasters, <laughs> yeah, favorite podcasters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I I think we're gonna try and have a few copies. Available at uh, the Here We Still Stand conference in October, just so nice. you know, we maybe I don't know how many they're thinking about publishing at that point, but they won't have enough ready for kind of general purchase yet. But uh, fifteen seventeen publishing is, that- is the is a publisher, and uh, good, yeah, they're getting it. They'll, I should have the manuscript to them by mid July, is, cool. is the goal, nice. and then uh, they'll have you know plenty of plenty of time to. Well, you know, kind of do the back and forth edits that, that you always have to do, and uh, the cover's done. Cover's just incredible. I was gonna say it better have a perfect fifteen seventeen oh, book cover. Yeah, <laughs> when you're the guy that does all our books, uh, he's extremely talented, and he and I work together on this on this cover. Not in the sense of me, you know, doing the art. We're just talking about what it might look like, what it might include. Right. And uh, when he, uh, you know, I was. A little nervous, like what's it gonna be like, you know. I hope I like it. I think I will, you know. But there's always that. Eh. Anyway, he sent it to me. This has been several weeks ago, and I was like, "Yes, this is like perfect, <laughs> just perfect." So I'm anxious to. We awesome. haven't put that out on social media or anything like that yet, but we but we will. We're gonna put together a little uh, uh, marketing trailer for the book that's gonna be coming up in the next month or so. That way we can kind of get get people wet people's appetite for what it's going to be like and hopefully uh get you know the pre-orders coming in that way we can get this these in people's people's hands yeah, i'll be one of the pre-orders sure. <laughs> good good yeah, I'm gonna be i think all three of us Can't will be wait. yeah oh, yeah <laughs> so how's podcasting going we are uh we just started so i've, I've got two now with 1517 i've got the 40 minutes in the old testament which I've been doing with Dan Price for uh, goodness, I guess four years now. We we just got into Ruth, and uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm thinking by the time I'm a hundred, we might finish the Old Testament. We <laughs> we are we are take your not, time, no rush. Yeah, we are not going fast. That's that's for sure. But there's you know there's a lot of cool stuff in Ruth too, uh, Hebrew mm-hmm. wise, uh, even some some word plays in there. So I've been bringing out some of those, but. We're, do, we're still doing that, just kind of, you know, working our way through the through the Old Testament. And uh, then season two of my, my other podcast, which is called Hidden Streams, 
that released that just dropped it's a seasonal podcast so it's not like okay. a weekly thing that just dropped uh, about a week ago i think something like that and great podcast. yeah that's a devotional in and of itself it's a devotional yeah it's it's the only really devotional podcast that 1517 has it starts out with a reading of a psalm by ed killian who's a pastor a good friend of mine out in california he's got a great god voice uh to read the psalms <laughs> then, uh, oh yeah then i come on with just uh about a five minute reflection on uh, various features of the psalm then it's followed by original music and song we uh, the guy that is doing all of the music and the songwriting two west two guys actually eddie duhan and then uh, john schreiner uh, they're just doing a fantastic job john has worked with just about anybody who's involved in christian music john has worked with them uh, all of the hmm. all of the huge names uh he's he's won just a war i mean he's, he's won an emmy i mean he, he just this guy is oh, just wow. uh amazing he uh he played the piano for I think it was President Nixon when he was like six years old. He won wow. some national competition, and uh, <laughs> there's this kid he's playing for the president. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> ne- needless to say, he kind of knows what he's doing when it comes to music. Right, uh, I would say, yeah, but Those are some bona fides. Yeah, so he's. Uh, I think honestly, it and I've heard of people say this too that it's our best produced podcast, mm-hmm. just as far as the quality goes, because he's. He's yes. a very much of a perfectionist when it comes to making sure everything sounds right. So he does a wonderful job kind of putting that all together into about a it's about a 15 minute uh, devotional uh, and it, it should be one of one of 1517's flagship podcasts in my opinion. I think it should too. Yeah. It, it is yeah. dynamite. It's it'll be a great pick me up if the pandemic has you down. Yeah, it would. Yeah, definitely would. <laughs> definitely would. I, it dropped at just the right time. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed doing that with John and uh glad that we have season two out he's working on season three i don't don't know how often he's going to drop uh every two or three months or quarterly i guess something like that but i think there were 12 in this last one and he's wanting i think to have 15 in the next one so we'll we'll see how that see how that goes but uh and then are are you going to keep making youtube videos as well i am yeah most weeks uh i didn't put out one this week i worked on an article instead but monday is usually my my video day i'll either take uh, the gospel reading for the coming Sunday, if if churches follow a Classic. kind of a, a lectionary, you know, a system of yeah. readings, mm-hmm. then yeah. then uh, I know what the the gospel reading is. And that's kind of pretty much universal, you know, whether you're a, you know kind of reformed or uh, Anglican, Roman Catholic, uh, Lutheran. A lot of these churches kind of follow a similar similar lectionary. So I will take one of those and. Maybe just show the the Old Testament background of it, or maybe there's a feature in it that I want to explore a little bit more from a, a from a background, a Hebrew background. Sometimes I will take a topic that I think is just of, of interest from a kind of a first century perspective, and I will I'll talk more about that. Maybe make it a little bit longer video, like maybe a 20 minute video that that uh, that helps to enlighten people about some you know some feature of of New Testament life, first century life. I'm eventually, one of the reasons I'm doing those is I'm wanting to do the groundwork for a class that I can do for 1517 Academy, something like mm-hmm. reading yeah. the New Testament through Hebrew eyes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of what that class would be is be like, okay, well, you know, who are the Samaritans, which is one of my recent videos. You know, we're in the, why, why does everybody hate the Samaritans? You know, <laughs> what the hell did they do? You know? <laughs> so, 
<laughs> yeah, you, you look and I, you know, I grew up, well, they're just, you know, they're sort of religious half-breeds, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, but there's a lot more to the story than that. You know, there was, there's a long history of antagonism between the Jews and the Samaritans, and it wasn't all about religion. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of politics mixed in there, too. But anyway, things like that, you know, who are the Pharisees and, and scribes? I've done a video on that and uh, wanting to do a series of those to uh, develop into this class. This, you know, these will be subjects that I'll cover in the, in the class as well eventually. So do, uh, I'll be doing those about, yeah, about once a week. I try and release those Monday afternoon, uh, Monday evening, something like that, and get those out there on Facebook and, and uh, YouTube. Awesome. Staying busy, that's a good thing. Yeah, it is. I, it's, say, it is I thought I was busy, but never mind. Shoo! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, it's a, it's a great opportunity. Uh, I don't, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we... Uh, see, last time we talked, I, I was just... I was still working for a freight company driving a truck, and I, I work full-time for 15, 17 now. And uh, have been... Awesome. Yeah, I have been since January, so uh, it opens up a chance for me to be able right. to, to write and to... To research and to you know do the videos and the podcast and in in a typical year to travel around teaching as well of course you know COVID has messed all of that up but I'm sure yeah. come 2021 all that will uh, will open up once more we were supposed to go to well several part several places in the U.S. Germany Sweden uh, and Australia in uh, in wow. the spring and early summer but. Most of that got uh, transferred to next year. So we'll be going to Germany and Sweden next year. Hopefully, Australia, if not in 2021, maybe 2022, and do uh, a kind of a teaching tour down there, a couple of weeks, traveling to various places. So, cool. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting but to have a chance like this that That's I really great. thought would never happen. Just uh, It's really, really a gift, a gift from the Lord. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It certainly is. And it's really awesome to hear that 1517 brought you on full time. Yeah, it is. I'm, uh, I'm grateful for everything 1517 has done for me and my family. Just, you know, give us the opportunity to, to do this. I would still be doing as much as I could if I was working full time. Sure. But, you know, you guys have jobs. You know how this goes. Uh, you only oh, have yeah. so much time. You've got so much energy. And uh, you got a lot of other commitments, too. You got family. You got church. You got. Uh, this and that. You got to sleep sometimes. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that helps. Oh yeah, that that <laughs> at least thing. for a couple hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, I fall asleep when I don't want to. I like. I'm, <laughs> you sit down, it's over. Yeah, I don't believe it. <laughs> know how you feel. <laughs> well, Chad, thanks for taking your time tonight and uh, kind of opening these things up to us and in our audience, and uh, we wish you the best and. I hope the the book is as well received as it as it already is with us. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I hope it is too, and I appreciate the chance to be on the the podcast, talk about uh, all this good stuff, and look forward to more conversations in the future. Right. Uh, well, you can go to our website, guyswithbibles.com, and stream our podcast on there, or and read our blogs that me and Lee write. And you can also subscribe on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, you can uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Guys with Bibles. And if you have any comments or questions, just email us at guyswbibles at gmail.com. And this is Guys with Bibles, and we're out.